And we're back. I'm Gervier Brom here with Jamal Sandu, and we are Screen Off Script. This week, we're getting into The Flash and reflecting on all the major movie and TV news of the week. You can go anywhere. Another timeline. Another universe. So why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? Because this is the world where my mom lives. I'm not going to lose her again. All right. In our first segment, we're going to be talking about the news. If you want to skip around to our review of The Flash, we got timestamps in the description. John, first thing I kind of want to talk about, obviously, you know, recording this right now, you're in the UK, very different experiences. So I'm mm-hmm. very curious to see how we talk about The Flash. This has been like in the making for a long time. Before we get to all of that, I just want to hit some like news items. First, like mm-hmm. on the opposite of DC, revisiting kind of like what we were talking about with Marvel, kind of like the Chris Hemsworth stuff. It feels like he's a little bit, I don't know, like not on the outs with Marvel, but it feels like he's in a weird place himself. You get that same sentiment, right? There's something going on, it feels like, yeah. Something, right? And so this week, uh, as the most recent update, uh, he's talking about his future with the MCU. He says, I don't want to continue to do it until people are so exhausted that they roll their eyes when they see me come on screen as that character. As I remember a few months ago when this guy was talking about like, I'm going to do this till the wheels fall off, basically. Right. And uh, it feels like the sentiment just changed. And you can see, like, he was probably saying that stuff coming off Ragnarok, being like, yo, I'm going to live this shit forever. And then now it just feels like very different, where he's like coming off Love and Thunder, and he's like, I didn't like how that felt. Yeah, it is. Um, it is interesting. I think Thor, in terms of a franchise within the MCU, is so interesting just to explore because it got off to a rocky start. You know, mm-hmm. they weren't the best films. And they weren't doing Iron Man numbers, both critically or commercially. And then all of a sudden Ragnarok happens and like Thor, they they they, they figured it out. Like mm-hmm. Taika Waititi figured out how to make a really, really good Thor movie. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I was thinking, oh, wow, this guy, especially if he wants to continue to play this character, why would he leave? Because if they can keep making this kind of movie, it's going to do really, really well. And then Love and Thunder comes out you know, to mix reviews. And obviously he's made some statements recently in terms of, you know, things that went on behind the scenes in terms of what the, you know, the movie ended up being. And now it just feels like maybe he's just going to stick around for this this phase and that's it and call it a day. It very much feels like that. But on top of that, I've been thinking just based on this story, like I was thinking, like, don't you think it's kind of in an interesting place? Number one, obviously he's saying that coming off this like salty experience with the movie. But number two, you got to think he's also having this weird experience where he must be looking at the other guys, like looking at like looking at a Chris Evans and being like, well, what's he doing after all of this? Because now you see he's in a kind of like weird place. Like where would Chris Hemsworth even go after this? I'm, I'm sure he's having these thought processes right now. And yeah. uh, you have to think like this is not you don't get to play like a million iconic characters like this might be it. It might be it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like Chris Evans hasn't done anything that i think is noteworthy post mm. calling it a day with cap Me too. Got... But besides like knives out that's the only thing i could really think that about. was it yeah and that's like yeah. an ensemble that's not yeah, like exactly. a chris evans movie you know what i mean yeah, yeah um and then you've got robert downey jr and he's already had an incredible career to be honest with yeah, you so it's not it's... something that you... chris evans prime you know hemsworth prime what are you gonna do and and you're right maybe he's looking at chris evans because he's now been out of the MCU for a few years and maybe he's thinking to himself, hmm, 
that could be me but yeah. then again you know like he's got this deal with netflix he's got a few other franchises yeah he's also but... got furiosa coming up he was True. i even saw another quote him talking about how he had like the best experience of his life shooting furiosa with uh george miller so mm-hmm. that's an exciting one and you never know like i could be completely wrong he could be the next yeah. rock we don't we don't know right we don't know but yeah. uh it, it's just interesting to see like this must be a really weird transitional period for a lot of these phase not even phase one but like end game era like right. characters in the mcu because they're gonna be thinking like what's next yeah also you know before i even get off all the marvel stuff speaking of what's next there's been a huge amount of delays for a lot of different properties first the mcu ones basically everything deadpool uh captain america thunderbolts blade fantastic four kang dynasty secret wars all delayed the following year uh on top of that avatar three four and five are all delayed as well even to the point where so three is now coming out in 2025 four in 2029 and five is now coming out in 2031 so uh i saw this thing where zoe de chanel's like i shot my first one when i was like 27 or whatever it is and now i'm shooting the last one when that thing comes out i'm gonna be like 50 or like 47 that's That's so crazy yeah it is yeah and then on top of that uh there's also been announcements that we're gonna get three different star wars movies two in 2026 and one in 2027 so Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of different release schedule changes obviously i'm sure a lot of it has to do with the writer strike but uh it's just interesting to see that you know we're getting a lot of massive movies and like when you think about like how we kind of view franchises sometimes it feels like okay cool are they gonna get another one and now look at it like this, like we're already talking about movies that are coming out in at the start of the next decade. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's that's kind of crazy as well. It's such an interesting like exploration of like how franchises have completely changed over the last couple of years. And it never used to be the case. You know, when we were younger, like you could maybe have a plan for the next two to three years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're, we're going to go into production next year. The movie will come out the year after. And like, like you said, now the way they map everything out, it's like the blueprint is five years, a six-year plan, an eight-year plan, a 10-year plan. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy that that's where we've got to, but that's how important franchises are to these studios. And to have a, a long-term plan, lock in your actors and lock in merchandise and other you know, um, you know, filmmakers and things of that nature, it's so, it's so important. Like Even the MCU, like imagine you're Kevin Feige and you've got all these properties. You have to keep sourcing filmmakers and creators um and it's not an easy thing to do it's very very hard to make sure you you match the right filmmaker with the right property also like you gotta think about if you're a star like let's say you're tom holland right and now you're looking at these movies like you're already in like a weird place in your career right now deciding what you're going to do but now you're also locked down until 2027 so all your decisions that you're going to make for the next couple of years are around this like regardless yeah um so it's going to be an interesting time for like creators in that space in general also, speaking of franchises, number one, Buzz and Woody will be returning for Toy Story 5. And uh, Pete Doctor says that we're going to get see a lot more Pixar sequels after Toy Story 5 and Inside Out 2. Uh, first off, like, how how do you kind of view Toy Story as a franchise? Um, that's, a good, that's a good question. I feel like the first one especially has a special place in my heart be- only because it was... A revolutionary movie in terms of the actual animation involved and it's also a really good movie so iconic mm-hmm. so many iconic lines and scenes and things of that nature and then every other toy story movie for me i've enjoyed it i think it's pretty good but it never had a lasting impact like the original did with me and that's just my my kind of take on it i feel like the trilogy if they just left it like that i think that's one of the best trilogies of all time really mm-hmm. like it just 
three hits of the best especially mm-hmm. like what you're talking about like for, even from a technology perspective of the first one but that story still holds up so strong Perfect, and then the yeah. second one the story holds up even better and then when you get to the third one it's such a not like obviously the story is fantastic but it's such a full circle moment for like a whole generation of people that grew up with this franchise and literally in the story it's like this meta situation where you're kind of letting go of the franchise as the character is like letting go of his toys and it's yeah. like a really beautiful story and then they keep going and tell the next story. And like, for me, it kind of, I get the appeal of like, you know, continuing these stories and making money off them. And I totally get that. But it's like, Toy Story is one that I wish they would have held a little sacred. Mm. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you're big on keeping things as airtight as possible. So look, you know, Toy Story 5, 6, 7, like they're making money. This is a business. It's going to be very, very rare to have franchises that have multiple movies and sequels if it makes money we're probably there's a strong likelihood we're going to get more and unfortunately when that happens the quality control at some point will diminish is there any like pixar movies that you would want to see sequels for not 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 really yeah no um are you a pixar guy like that I, like, I've never I, th- I think I think I've had like my run with Pixar, like especially I'll say the, the formative years. So the mm-hmm. first like five, six, seven years when you had all these like you know, Incredibles, you had Finding Nemo, you had Monster Inc. You obviously have Toy Story, and so that was a period where it was again revolutionary for the business. But now it's like there are so many other studios that also do really you know good animation it comes down yeah. to how much of a good story you can tell and obviously disney has the disney trademark right where and they've also got ip that they can dip into as well but for some reason these days animation isn't kind of like like a big go-to like you know at the moment you know the flash that we're going to speak to speak about shortly i went head to head with a, a pixar movie called elemental that yeah. came out this past weekend and it didn't do well it didn't do mm-hmm. well at all at the box office, which is kind of bizarre because normally Pixar movies, they tend to do really, really well. So this is a bit of a wake-up call maybe. You know what? It doesn't even feel like a wake-up call now. When's the last time... I, I mean, I can't think of the last time I was genuinely excited by like a Pixar movie or right. I walked out of something and I'm like, wow, I can't believe they did it again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a really consistent feeling coming out of these Pixar movies. Like I knew I'm coming out of Up, you know, Wally all these movies like i'm thinking like wow i can't believe i just saw like such a beautiful version of whatever that is and now it's starting to feel like oh i've seen something similar to this i'm not saying like they're not innovating enough but in a way i kind of am it feels like mm-hmm. they're kind of getting stagnant with their stories and that's actually with the criticism that i see with a lot with an uh elemental as well that right. we've seen this story we've seen this movie already like a bunch of times and like having not even seen that movie i could probably tell you the fire and the water probably shouldn't get together. But like, you know, in the end, they're probably going to get together and show that like, you know, people with differences can coexist. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I know that movie is what it's going to be. And this is why it comes down to story. If you're just going to say, if you're just going to repeat the boy meets girl story, right? That is a rinse and repeat formula for a lot of, like Disney has a playbook. You know what that yeah. playbook is, right? We all know what the playbook is. But mm-hmm. at some point you have to innovate. And you have to move it forward. You've got to figure out a way to keep it fresh and exciting and make it dynamic for audiences in 2023. Absolutely. It's almost feeling like uh, there are so many other studios that have such interesting animation properties these days that it is starting to feel like that whole studio is just kind of getting, not past, but like 
Spider-Verse, look at all like the interesting stuff they're doing with like Illumination these days with uh with Super Mario Brothers and stuff like that. And it's not to say like, you know, they're not going to exhaust the hell out of those properties, but it just feels like what I used to get with Pixar was original content. And these days, I don't know if I'm getting that. Right. Next, I got uh, Guillermo del Toro. He's uh, He says, just first he's talking about how, uh, just talking about making movies. He says, they still say no to me in the last two months. They have said no to five of my projects. So it doesn't go away. Making movies is eating a sandwich of shit. There's always shit. Just sometimes you get a little bit, little bit more bread with yours. So first off, it's just interesting that a guy like that still has so much pushback, even though he's such an iconic filmmaker. And second, it actually kind of leads into what else he says, where he says that he only has a couple more live action movies I want to do, but not many. After that, I only want to do animation. That's the plan. Having watched Pinocchio and uh, obviously with, with his reputation of what he makes, just like visually with his films and stuff like that like how do you how do you feel about that yeah i mean we were just talking about how you know on the animation side when it comes to pixar you got to be original i think pinocchio is a fantastic example of taking a tried and tested you know story that we all know but in a completely fresh way yeah. in terms of the story the the character arc and what it goes through so and the visuals very, too the visuals yeah. of course yes absolutely and you know guillermo del toro is a very visual director mm-hmm. um it's kind of wild that he's had five projects rejected because if I was the head of a studio, I would just be like, go make what you want to make. Yeah. <laughs> like here's a blank check. What do you need? A hundred million dollars? Go make it. Cause I know <laughs> it's going to be good quality, man. You, you would think, right. Especially with him kind of dipping out of live action. I actually think that's a little bit of a bummer only because like, you know, you might get like some weird movies here and there, but you also get like shape of water, which is like an absolutely phenomenal, beautiful movie, man. Like it's, it's a shame that we're not going to see more of that. Right. Um, especially with such an imaginative mind, like and seeing what he does with live action, like animation's one thing. And as much as I like animation, it's not my go to as far as like visual appeal. I'm still right. like, you know, I, I think a live action, just the way like like at the end of the day, human actors, seeing them be able to emote and all that kind of stuff, I'm still for gonna sure. value that more. And yeah. uh it's gonna be a shame for him to get kind of get out of that space. Last story I got Warner Brothers, they want Christopher Nolan back. They said uh, they're trying to get him to return to return to the studio, and apparently they're inviting him to the lot. And they've also paid a seven-figure bonus for Tenant as a sign of good faith. So obviously this is just backstage politics stuff. But how do you feel about that? I mean, good luck. I mean, if he does go back to them, that'd be a a, a bizarre situation because he feels like a guy that's got so much pride. And kind of sticks to his guns. But I also appreciate the move from from the Warner Brothers side because let's be honest, he's like one of the greatest filmmakers of his generation. And why wouldn't you want to figure out a way to keep him in your studio and keep producing movies for you? I get it. Yeah. I totally get the pitch. I totally get the move. Whether they're successful, that's a whole different story. I think it's going to be interesting because this is his first movie outside of that studio system. Uh, well, basically it's still studio system, but like just a new studio system. And... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see like how Oppenheimer does, like how, what's the result of that. And then based on that, are they going to keep giving him everything he wants? It's, it's interesting to see like how Tom Cruise is like fighting for screens. Barbie is fighting for screens when, you know, at the end of the day, like everyone doesn't have the same kind of priority that Christopher Nolan has with his IMAX screens. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if this is like very successful, let's see what happens. But if it's not, do you still give him like those, that same availability or does he like face that same kind of thing that Guillermo del Toro is dealing with and being like, Oh man, I got to hear no a lot more. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, but I think the general strike rate with Nolan is very, very high. I think <laughs> it's know, ridiculously does, high, yeah. It's like, there, there may be one movie in his entire resume that perhaps most people were thought thought was a little bit mid or a little bit, you know, under what they could have had in terms of an expectation. But the vast majority of his films are like five stars, classics, mm-hmm. super rewatchable yeah. and innovative, unique uh, original like the stuff that we want from every filmmaker you know what's interesting i feel like with his catalog if you went and just asked like 100 people on the street like what's your favorite chris nolan movie i think you'd find a really solid spread across the board of different movies like mm-hmm. i don't think it would be unanimous like all right we all love dark knight or we all love right. interstellar like it would be all over the place of, uh, of all of that um but yeah that's everything for the news this week let's get into the movie for this week DC's arguably last hurrah of this last era, The Flash. Oh my god! Flash! Hi. I love you! Thank you. Crashing you into Mr. Wayne. No, please don't. Um... I need you here now, Barry. So you're saying you could travel back in time? The Bruce. I can fix things. Save people. I could save my mom. I could save your parents. All right, so jump with first thing, we're talking about the flash. How how was your viewing experience? You got to watch it in the UK. how did it feel? Yeah. Yeah, I watched it on a Thursday night. I love a good Thursday night uh, screening. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that busy, if I'm being honest with you. It wasn't like a packed theater. So that was interesting. But I like I said, I think we've spoken about this before. Every time I'm traveling to the UK, I miss my local cinema in Toronto. Yeah, I just miss it. I love it. I love it so much, and I love it's supporting it. And there's a high standard there in terms of how comfortable I am in that cinema watching movies. And when I'm not there watching a movie, it does impact my overall experience. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, man. I'm so curious to see what you think about this, just to like kind of tee it up. So we're talking about, obviously about the Flash. This is the the Zack Snyder era. The the whole snyderverse all like the baggage of the past couple of years of dc and and frankly like almost like the downfall of dc has been this last era and uh this is like almost the last remnant of that the last uh the last hurrah like i said before we get to james gunn's dcu and Mm -hmm. with this movie it was supposed to be almost like a reset almost like a, a transition into like that new era they were supposed to be used as like you know because this is a multiverse story you have the option to kind of do whatever you want and just live in that reality at this point so having said that now we got this movie we got the flash and you know all the hype kind of walking into it was this is one of the greatest comic book movies of all time right right and we heard praise from tom cruise different directors different james gunn yeah. so many people are talking about this movie in such a way where it's like yo this is the one. Forget everything else. Forget what you felt about Justice League or Batman versus Superman. Don't worry. This one we're going to deliver. So there was a lot of hype going into this. And I'm just curious, even just right off the bat, did this movie deliver for you? Yes and no. I would say um, I'm not going to call this the greatest comic book movie I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I think there were things that... Do you think you that... could put in the conversation of that? No, not in the conversation at all. Okay, cool. No, I, I would That's... definitely not... That's why yeah. I kind of wanted to see, like, what, where's the, what kind of where yeah. level are we talking? I, I honestly just left thinking that was a, that was a, an above average DC movie is what I would say. 
I, I wouldn't even call it anywhere near in the conversation of a, a, a goated comic yeah. book movie. I thought there were some things that I really, really liked. And then there were things that really bugged me and irked yeah. me and that I didn't enjoy. Yeah. And so overall, there's really there's some stuff that's really good. And there's some stuff that's really, really bad. And overall, yeah. it's a little bit above average. That's that's the, yeah, yeah. that's the only thing I can say about it. I'm, I'm curious to see kind of where we end up with it, like score-wise and all that kind of stuff. Sure. But before we get into like, obviously like that's closer to the end. But uh, before we get into all of that, first off, we're talking about like the premise is essentially that he can run so fast that he could go back in time breaks through this barrier where he has access to whatever that dome's called. And like he is, uh, yeah, he has time travel abilities. So this becomes like almost a back to the future style time travel movie where if you, if you go back and you change something, it affects that future. And basically you just keep going back and trying again, right? Like that's really what it is. And uh, they have that whole metaphor with the pasta and uh, first off, I kind of before we even get into like the actual movie, how'd you feel about the time travel aspect of it? Because I think that is one of the most scrutinizable things about any multiverse movie. Like, how did they handle time travel? You, you know what's funny? I don't. I didn't even allow myself to go so deep into like, oh, but that works and that wouldn't work, and try and kind of put some kind of like theory on it. I was just accepting what they were giving. It's just like, mm-hmm. all right, let's just, you, you go back in time, you know, he's got this little sphere where he can see you, all the, you know, different timelines and possibilities. He's doing it. Cool. I, I'm not going to even allow myself to give that energy if I want to scrutinize it. Cool. I accept it. What's the story? How are we going forward? And like, how is the pacing? And is, does this kind of like um, satisfy me? And but, but doesn't that, doesn't that speak to like a good thing for the time travel of the aspect of the movie? Because I Maybe guess, because yeah. it doesn't, you're not scrutinizing it. Maybe they did it well. Like that's actually where I am. Cause, cause Maybe. I think, I think what, the way they approach the time travel aspect is like almost a, they did the back to the future stuff where they simplified it, made it yeah. really easy to understand. Hey guys, by the way, if we go back and do something, it's going to affect the future. He goes back again, it's going to affect the future. And it's just so easy to understand. You don't have to do any, yep. you know, gymnastics in your head to like make it all kind of make sense. Like, oh yeah, he went back and he only changed this timeline of this universe, but not that universe and this and that. Um, look how look yeah look how the MCU ha- have had to hit people over the head with yeah. how the multiverse works in the MCU. Exactly. It's like on shows and movies that is constantly explaining and explaining in a much more deeper and detailed way. Where mm-hmm. the Flash is, just, they, they, you're right, they do do it in a very simple way and it works. I think that's a huge credit to the movie. If I'm being completely honest, yeah. like I, I think that's a I, it, the fun thing is we're about to review back to the future very very shortly because you know we're huge fans of that but i think the biggest thing is we can credit obviously back to the future is a massive influence on this movie and uh for them to like kind of make that decision i think massive kudos because that's one of the biggest strengths of the movie never at any point do i overthink about the time travel aspect and i think that's a massive w on their part because you can see it like you just said look at what the mcu is doing so many times we're like huh does that make sense? Like, or right. not even just does that make sense, but it's like, we're thinking about it and I'm, yeah. I'm left thinking about, does this even work? You know, all this Kang stuff and this and that, like sometimes I'm like, especially like the, with Ant-Man, we, we walked away thinking like, I don't know if this makes any sense. Right. Right. And uh, I think, yeah, huge kudos to that aspect of this movie. How'd you feel about that opening scene before we get into anything? I don't like it. That's actually one of the things I didn't <laughs> like. And, and I didn't like it. A lot, a lot of it had to do with the, uh, Ben Affleck's contribution there as Batman. I just don't like him as Batman, and I didn't like him in this movie as Batman either. There was, I think, 
him as Bruce Wayne was a little bit more palatable for me, but mm-hmm. him as him as Batman didn't, didn't enjoy that. That opening scene, I was like, oh, they're about to hook me into this movie. We're talking about the babies, right? Yeah, and I was just like, they're not. I was like, okay, cool opening scene. You're trying to make it a bit more fun and lighthearted yeah. in terms of the interaction between not just the Flash saving everyone, but the interaction between you know Gordon. And uh, Alfred, Alfred, sorry, and 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 Batman, and then obviously later on the Wonder Woman, like the whole lasso of truth scene. I felt I was so cringe. I was cringing watching that. I didn't really? enjoy that at all. I didn't. I didn't like that. You know what's funny? I actually thought like, wow, this feels really corny at the start. But then yeah. after a while, I was like, you know what? This is like not like uh, it's not offensive or like it's not bad. Right. Like it's, sure. it's mostly just for like a really fun scene, and it felt almost like an homage to like you know, the purity of, like, the idea of a superhero movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, literally, it's him saving people, like, normal people, number one, and then number two, going, saving babies from, like, a falling building. Like, that's the easiest way to establish that, hey, by the way, guys, this is a good person, right? And it's funny because, like, when you think about it on screen, and we're going to get into him right now, but uh, when you think about all the damage that Ezra Miller kind of did to this movie on a personal level, it just even just perceptually, I feel like almost you got to like in that very opening scene, kind of separate and like compartmentalize. Like you know what, Ezra Miller might be doing some sketchy stuff, but the Flash is like a really good guy. He just saved all these babies. Yeah, the one thing that that didn't impact my you know watch of this movie and in terms of Ezra's performance as the Flash and as Barry Allen. I didn't think about everything that had been happening the last couple of years with him. In, in it. So I had totally forgotten about that, right? Big facts, yeah. That being said, though, I felt like in this movie, you see Ezra Miller as, in my opinion, anyway, in in certain scenes where he's a phenomenal actor. Like, there yeah. are some scenes in this movie where he is literally stealing the show. He is stealing the scene. He's doing some fantastic stuff. And at the same time, there were some scenes where I was just like, He's going way over the top. You and think so? it, it, Yeah, for, for me, again, this yeah. is this is my kind of take on it. And there were some scenes where his performance was taking me out of the actual scene because he, I mm-hmm. felt like he was just going a little too hard on trying to be wacky and comical and this, that, and the other. You know what? I uh, I will say number one, I, I really think he's sensational in this movie. Like, mm. I get it because he really. I, I think he, number one, he carried this movie. Obviously, it's his movie. But he carried it on his back is what I mean. Like he really took on the different roles that he had as Flash. And I think he really delivered in like almost every single aspect. But I I think the interesting thing about like the whole Ezra Miller conversation is really, I think it really comes down to like the whole idea of like canceling and blah, 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 like the nonsense of all of that. It's just like, you know, at the end of the day, it's almost like such a shame when somebody that talented kind of like squanders, like not obviously an opportunity like this, but like, more than that, just like squandering the idea of like what you could be capable of. Like that guy yeah. was doing big franchises, yes, but like he's been part of like some really incredible movies. Like when I think of like Perks of Being a Wallflower, he is such uh, an incredible presence in that movie. It's such a shame mm-hmm. that we're not gonna probably not gonna see him in like anything like that going forward. Yeah, uh, I actually haven't seen much of his performances in a lot of other stuff outside of The Flash. Uh, if I'm being honest, I thought there were some scenes like the, the scene with his mother uh, at the end of the movie was I thought phenomenal. But yeah. then there were scenes like and, I, and I, forgive me, but I forget her name. But it's the, it's the it's the girl that plays Iris West, his love interest in, in this movie. Yes, zero chemistry. 
zero the chemistry. Between, the, Yo, the, the scenes she's between not these good. Two, she's, she's not, not good. I'm sorry. She, I'm she, sorry. She, she was she was really really bad. And I'm not I'm not putting this all in Ezra Miller's lap here in terms of why there was no chemistry there. But she was a really really bad choice in terms of casting. She yeah. didn't have good dialogue. She didn't give a good performance. And then every scene that they had together, I'm like, yo, there's there's no sizzle here at all yeah. between you two guys. Honestly, the the way they kind of pigeonholed them getting together, uh, that like never felt organic to me at all. Especially no, like right. just the way the characters kind of go together, and just the way he is. And uh, yeah, you brought up something uh, uh before, but like biggest thing that kind of carries this movie before we get off Ezra Miller is the emotionality and the relationship that he has with his parents, right? Right. And like obviously he has like a very specific relationship with his dad where it, he's still alive. But I think like you said, that relationship with his mom is yeah. really the heart and soul of this movie. And I think the reason why people, if they do find this movie to be like really something special, I think that's why. I agree. Um, like I said, I think some of the strongest scenes in the movie are between Barry and his mother. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, I thought the 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 chap that plays his, his, his father is a different guy from who played uh, Barry's father in the Snyderverse uh, Flash movies. Oh, well, not even the Flash movies, but in the other, what was it? The Justice League movie, right? Yeah. Where he goes to visit. His, so it's, a, it's a different person playing him. But I didn't enjoy his performance either. But I, so I thought the mother was great. The father was not great. And I was just happy yeah. that there were more scenes between Barry and his mother than there was Barry and his father. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think like they actually got me to like... I think they really got me to care. It's it's really unfortunate because when you watch, like we compare it to a movie like Back to the Future and like Back to the Future is so easy to like satisfy the audience because like basically they just wanted to get back, right? That's so easy. With with this, like almost you want his mom to come back and it's like, you know, it's this tragic story because the whole time, at no point did I think, okay, cool. Like at some point he's going to get his mom back. It always felt like this is going to be a really sad situation. And then when they actually delivered that, I think I actually felt it. The one thing I will say, it is kind of silly that the whole premise of the movie is like built around like a can of tomatoes. I get it as far as like, you know, inconsequential moments that shouldn't that shouldn't play like this ripple effect in time kind of thing. But uh, I don't know. I just felt like it kind of made those scenes feel really silly to me because I had to like think about like, oh, the can of tomatoes. Like, who gives, who gives a shit? Like, it should have been. I don't know. Like it didn't feel like it, it. That little stuff hit for me. Like almost like I wish yeah. the fine details were more specific. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. There was sm- the small, the small things. I think they they slipped up on, and it has a massive impact on you going a hundred percent all in on the movie and and like giving it the the kudos that you perhaps want to give it. Like I wonder, I went in with this movie wanting to like for it to succeed in every single department, and mm. you know just to see DC get a dub, but also with all the hype that was going into it, like we spoke about earlier. And then who knows, maybe all these things um, led to me not enjoying it, where I had the, maybe the bar expectation was so high with like when James Gunn says it's one of the greatest comic book movies of all time, you're like, Oh my God, like yes. I'm about to go in and have like a filet mignon, like, you know, Michelin star steak right now. Yeah. And, um, and it was not the not the case for me, you know. You know what? I actually think that's a huge part of it because the expectations were so high, and uh, I wonder how we would review this movie if, like, we let it breathe, and then like we rewatched it again in like six months or something like that, and like just as a as a movie, you know what I mean? Just a, not a DC event, not a end of the Snyderverse, beginning of the James Gunn DCU, and all that kind of stuff. Just as a movie by itself, I almost feel like if I had. Like a, a like an opportunity to do that and like 
sit with it separate of all this other context, I'm sure I would like this movie a lot more. But mm. for some reason, it's all that other stuff that kind of, and, and obviously like the Ezra Miller stuff like that just kind of makes it feel like a weird event in film. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What about as far as uh, kind of the other characters that we saw? We saw Sasha Kale as Supergirl, Ben Affleck as Batman, Michael Keaton as Batman. Uh, before we get into the everything else, but like even like Michael Shannon as General Zod, how do you feel about like just the general idea of the other characters in the movie? Because it's carried obviously by Barry, it's carried by Flash, carried by Ezra. But how do you feel of those other additions? You mentioned you didn't love Ben Affleck, but what about no? Didn't enjoy Ben Affleck. I thought Sasha Cal was pretty good at Supergirl, and I actually felt like I wished she had more time on screen, and I wish we had just we could spend a little bit more time with her because I actually thought she was pretty decent. To be fair, mm -hmm. um, it was fantastic. It's a great bit of fan service for me just to enjoy Michael Keaton back as Batman, and I felt like he, you know, when when he enters the movie, he really brings a lot of gravitas to the situation. You know, being the older guy, he's been Batman for so many years, and and all this kind of stuff. So I really, really liked Michael Keaton back um, as Batman. So how do you feel about that opening or like that introduction scene when you kind of see him for the first time? He's all disheveled and hair right. is everywhere and all that kind of stuff. Did he feel like Batman in that moment? No, he didn't. And it wasn't until he kind of shaves and kind of actually gets into the cowl and the cape and the suit and you start to see the bat cave and then the and the and the car and like the 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 jet like you know all the iconic you know batman vehicles and, and what have you and all the suits when he's in the suit he felt like batman even though there were a few scenes where i'm like i don't know if uh, a 60 year old michael keaton as batman could pull some of this off but hey you, you know let it let it slide it is what it is um yeah yeah i, I thought him and barry actually had a lot of strong scenes together as well i almost like because I'll be honest, like a lot of the Batman scenes specifically for that made, I don't know, something about the movie feel a little bit dated. Like obviously it's on purpose because it's supposed sure. to look nostalgic, but yeah. uh, there's something about it that made me think like, you know, is there a way they could have made this look better instead of trying to make it look accurate or like right. look like that Batman movie? Instead, like, I, yeah, I don't know, yeah. I, I almost wish like they created that like environment, but shot it like in a way that made it feel more grand or something because I, I was kind of left with this sense of like, okay, cool. Like I'm not like overwhelmed by how cool this is. I, I know mm -hmm. that's a weird, that's a weird ask. It is a weird ask, but like, that's kind of what we want as comic book fans, like almost like yeah. to over deliver. And I don't think they over delivered really anywhere. I think that's uh, a weird nitpick criticism, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, and, and just to go back a little bit from what we were talking about earlier on, you know, you're right, the whole time travel element, you just buy it and you're good with it. It's very simple. But then there was one thing that really, again, this is part of the movie that really irked me a lot. It was just like, all right, cool. So he's, he's lost his powers. The alternate Barry Allen has his powers. And he's just like, yep, we're just going to recreate the accident. Um, we've got all these um, uh, <laughs> elements in these flasks. We're going to you know, get struck by lightning and I'm going to become the Flash again. Like, is, is it that simple to become the Flash now? What's, what's going on? Everybody can be the Flash if you really want to, to be honest. Exactly. On the other side of that, the best part about the time travel, or the, the most fun part about the time travel, was how they played with the idea of when he did go back and change time, that like they showed all the other silly things where like Eric Stoltz is Marty McFly yes. and in this right. reality that actually happened. Like I love that. That was like, such a fun moment. And I wonder yeah. if it lands, like obviously it's not going to land with like really, really young uh, people who have never seen like back to the future or something like that. But like, I imagine like that was just for film fans. And I think that's such a cool moment for us. Oh, 100%. And you know, talk about fan service. I don't know if this is the experience you had 
uh, in your movie theater. But like, as we kind of get to the climax of the movie, and he's obviously, you know, we're seeing other characters from different universes, you know, start to arrive. You know, you got Christopher Reeve as Superman, and then you got the original Batman and, and all that. When Nicolas Cage as Superman appeared on screen, it got the biggest pop in a in the cinema. Because if people that know that know the story about Nicolas Cage almost playing Superman to actually see that almost realized in this universe, I thought was fantastic. It's so weird, right? Because like obviously that's like a moment that like people have heard about on the internet, but that's all it is. You know what I mean? Like it's weird that it got so big as like this industry rumor that it got to be a cameo in this big movie that they're they're serving up for us. What about like as far as cameos, like kind of what we're left with uh, in the end is this big scene where everything's kind of back to what it's supposed to be ish. He gets a call from Bruce Wayne and it turns out it's not Ben Affleck. It's George Clooney. And uh, how how'd you feel number one about the George Clooney of it all? And uh, what does that mean? Great question. Um, first, I hated it. <laughs> I, like, I, actually, I actually hated it. When George Clooney arrived on the... I actually thought, is this a joke? I, I was like, <laughs> are, they, are they doing some like comic relief here? Like, yeah. it, like I, I, I couldn't believe that that's what the, the decision was to go with that because they had shot the exact same scene with Michael Keaton. And if you mm-hmm. think about how the movie plays out, in the other universe, in the other timeline... Michael Keaton as Batman dies and Barry's left talking to him. So to see him then brought back in this new timeline and still have a relationship with Barry, I thought would have been a really cool moment to sign off. And the original plan, obviously, was for Michael Keaton to be Batman and to be the, the Tony Stark figure in the, the 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 direction that they were going to go into pre-James Gunn. And obviously they they reshot it, they deleted the whole Michael Keaton element that scene, and then they brought in George Clooney. I'm not gonna lie, I, I was just like, oh what? Yeah. I was just, I was just, it did not land for me whatsoever, man. Not just because he's in the worst Batman movie and he obviously got panned for playing Batman and that whole experience was just an absolute flop, critically and commercially. But even just the way the scene plays out was just like so, yeah, I, I, I thought, is this a joke? Is this actually a joke? And I, And then in terms of what it means moving forward, I don't know. I legit, I'm still left wondering what this means in terms of when James Gunn is going to start delivering movies, whether he makes them or produces them and like has his cast of like filmmakers jump on these properties. When it comes to the Batman movies, you know, and other characters, like is George Clooney going to be involved? Is he not going to be involved? I have no idea right now. Listen, I am a George Clooney fan. I'll be completely honest. I, he's Which is my, great. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a fan of his purely because I look at that man and I think that's how I want to age straight up. I, I almost like admire how he's aged and I like want to do that. On the other side, it's so understandable that like you know this is a weird cameo in a in a movie about Batman and like it's it's kind of a weird way to end the movie in the sense of like yo you're right like not there aren't like a lot of George Clooney fans that are like yo I wish he got another shot at Batman or like there's like a fan there's like there's not a is there is there a portion of the fandom that's like no 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 George Clooney didn't get a fair shake or like whatever like I I don't know why. This would have felt like it. This didn't feel like an impactful ending to me. It felt like it a very not, no. random. If this was a situation where like they're going to continue the story, it makes a lot of sense. But I don't get that sense. I feel like kind of this Flash movie and like uh, we kind of got this kind of confirmed ish. But James Gunn did mention that the Blue Beetle is the first character in his new DCU, which kind of confirms that like everything we kind of just saw is like wiped. 
right? right. Uh, just yeah. an alternate multiverse moment that uh, exists in like that whole space, but not necessarily where we're actually going to be living going forward. The saving grace and the, and the connective tissue, which would potentially allow Ezra Miller to continue playing the Flash, is the fact that different timeline, different universe, it's the same guy playing the Flash. Whereas yeah. in this movie, they explain there's different people playing Superman, there's different people playing Batman, but the Flash is the Flash. Yeah. Also, speaking of uh, kind of just people kind of continuing in this universe, Andy Muschietti, the director, uh, James Gunn confirmed, and we've talked about this before, but uh, he says he chose Andy Muschietti, number one, to direct Batman the Brave and the Bold after watching The Flash. And the reason he did that is because he said Andy's affinity and passion for these characters and this world just resonates through every frame. There was really only one choice. Do you believe that? I'm not sure. I do. I, I will say this. I felt like he swung for the fences. It was like, this movie takes some big swings, right? Mm -hmm. And I do feel in general, even though I feel like there are some things that I really, really didn't like, the overall energy that he that he was bringing to the movie and this movie brings is so different to what we were getting from Zack Snyder prior to it that mm -hmm. at, at the very least, I enjoyed the film's energy, if that makes any sense. Huge. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, I think also, like, I'll be honest, I really did enjoy the opening scenes and, like, the early scenes with what they did with actual Batman as Batman, right? Like, not necessarily the Bruce Wayne stuff, but, like, when he's, you know, in that, like, nitty-gritty of, like, trying to stop those, uh, whoever those people were or whatever, and uh, he's kind of getting, he's, he's th doing the bat hook and he's getting dragged around and he's kind of, like, controlling himself and almost, like, surfing around the streets with that. It was a cool visual, number one, and, like, a lot of the the way they were able to like kind of get the action down for uh for these movies i thought it was really cool and uh number two it's gonna be interesting to see i thought he he approached that whole the the shooting batman aspect of everything very well and it makes me not the most excited for that batman movie that's coming out but almost like him having that with james gunn kind of being like the overall yes no man at the end of this i i'm I, I don't know. I feel I don't feel I'm not feeling negative towards it, but I'm not like all the way optimistic. But I'm I'm here for it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I know that I know exactly what you mean. And and I'll say this: I think the one thing that does get me excited about this new Batman movie is the fact that it's going to be Andy Muschietti, like you said, working with James Gunn. Yeah, he didn't work with James Gunn on the Flash, and just having James Gunn, you know, on your team helping you out, making some of these big decisions, I think it's going to be a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's get into our categories. So as far as best character, I feel like this is an easy one, but uh, who is the best character for you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely Ezra Miller as the Flash, and um, I thought there was... Which again, version? The, the legit version, not the alternate version, not the younger. Actually, him playing the 18-year-old version was really bugging me. It, it, yeah. uh, it, it really annoyed me, so yeah. Sure. I, I really uh, I agree. I think the number one, it is Ezra Miller. It's Barry, the OG Barry. And... Uh, yeah, again, it's almost a shame if we're... It, I don't know what's going to happen with Ezra Miller. Like, I'm not even, like, rooting for him. Like, I really don't care, if I'm being honest. But, like, it's going to be interesting to see kind of where he goes going forward. Uh, what about as far as Bessie? Oh, this is easy. Barry and his mother in the convenience store at the end of the movie. And it's the final goodbye. And it was yeah. the most uh, gut-wrenching, emotional scene of the entire movie by far. Yeah, I, I agree. For me, same thing. That scene... It's exactly the emotional notes that's supposed to hit. And it's the reason if this is going to have like a good 
shelf life going forward, it's going to be that whole relationship, him and his mother really carrying this movie emotionally. I'm so curious about this. Star rating-wise, zero being the worst, five being the best, where do you end up with this movie? Yeah, so like I said earlier on, uh, this is an above-average uh, DC movie, an above-average comic book movie for me. I'm not going to say it's the greatest of all time or even in anywhere near that conversation. So my rating is a 3.25. I think it's a good movie. I think it was a good watch. I actually would watch it again at mm-hmm. home when it's available to stream. Yeah. Uh, how, if it becomes a long-term rewatchable movie, I'm, I don't know, the jury's still out there for me on that one. Uh, but I'll definitely watch it again. And I actually would recommend people go out there out of their way to watch it because I like, do feel like it's one of the better DC movies we've had in recent years. Yeah, I, I feel like we're in a similar range. I want a 3.75, but uh, I think I I almost like wish that thing that I mentioned. I, I just want the t- ability to watch this movie without all this other context that's around it because I really think it's a stronger movie than we're giving it credit for right now. But at the same time, we haven't even like really addressed all the negative stuff, like how bad the visuals are sometimes. And like, when you're talking about like the the dome thing that he has where he's like you know he's in like this biosphere or whatever the hell it is it's just like why was that the choice of how you're going to present this multiverse or these 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 moments that happen in time like i feel like you could have done almost anything else and it would have looked visually cooler uh, i don't yeah. know it, it just feels like it's poor decision making for for that to be how they kind of ended with it yeah, you are right, by the way. We didn't mention it, but we should just dr- address it very quickly. Some of the worst special effects I've seen in a big blockbuster movie in a very, very long time. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, but you've had this movie in the can for a while. You couldn't like just add some finishing touches on some of these scenes. Like, they were, it's it's actually shocking how, some, how bad some of these special effects and scenes are. You know what's weird? Sometimes it almost felt like maybe they really thought that they weren't going to release this movie. And like it just kind of sat on the shelf for a while because it feels like even though this movie was like delayed forever and like in the planning stages forever, it still feels like they undercooked the hell out of the visuals and they had so much time, obviously, but like, I don't know, maybe they didn't think this movie was actually going to come out because that's how bad the visuals sometimes look. But yeah, that's uh, not to leave it on a negative note. Again, I think the overall sentiment is like solid movie, not an all timer, but I think it's going to end up, being better on a second watch, if I'm being honest. But yeah, let's get into the last segment of the show. Let's get wrecked. Uh, Weekly recommendation. Jonathan, can you hit me with Sanju's pick? You're going to love this because you love a good tie-in to the movie that we're... Yeah. So I was lucky enough to watch The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened. Uh, This is... uh, So to give some context, Tim Burton almost made a Superman movie in the late 90s starring Nicolas Cage. And this documentary, which was released in 2015... Uh, is a fantastic, fantastic documentary which examines the pre-production of the film. In honestly, it's like one of the most bizarre what-if moments in cinema history. Mm-hmm. And I was actually lucky enough to watch this documentary um, when it was premiering in 2015 at a London Comic Con. I got tickets. The director, unfortunately, has passed away since, um, but it's available to watch. I would go out of your way to watch it because seeing. Nicolas Cage, not just like in the Superman outfit, but just seeing everything else that was going on, like what they were trying to achieve, what they were hoping for. Like in the 90s, the Superman comic book run had Superman with long hair. That's why Nicolas Cage has long hair as Superman. And even the the stages of the suit and what they were going to go for, that they were originally going to do the black Superman suit before we finally got it with Zack Snyder. Um, But yeah, it's just a a fascinating documentary on basically the entire pre-production. And it's still like, you know, makes you wonder what would have, the film looked like because this is tim burton 
prime Tim Burton coming off of a yeah. couple of Batman movies with Michael Keaton that did really, really well as well. So there you go. That's my recommendation this week. The death of Superman lives. What happened? You want to talk about serendipity? Uh, you just mentioned Tim Tim Burton. I love tie-ins. And like, think about like all of these tie-ins, okay? Tim Burton. It's Father's Day uh, this past week. Uh, this whole movie is about the relationship with father and son. I went with The Big Fish, right? Arguably Tim Burton's best movie. I, I mean, that's saying a lot, but it, it really is. It's such a fantastic movie. It's it's this incredible exploration into like this father and son's relationship where like reality and fiction kind of like bleed into each other. And like, uh, I don't even want to spoil it because it's it's incredible. If you haven't seen it, go out of your way, check it out. Again, it's called Big Fish, but there's like this profound impact from like all these stories that his dad tells there where you're kind of left with like this this sense of like value through through like this relationship that you kind of develop with these characters that's much more important than like what's true and what's false but yeah that's everything for this week john where can anybody find us we are at screen off script on tiktok instagram facebook twitter and youtube shorts and if you're available to give us a five-star review or drop a comment on any of these platforms especially on spotify on apple please do because it honestly goes a long way on helping our show get found by new audiences awesome thank you for checking us out this week guys take care